Uh, we're going to do a Bible marking class. This is something that maybe you have never done before, but a Bible marking class is where you would take a particular subject and you would learn how to pick an anchor verse, and then you would go through and you would mark the verses, and it would help you to be able to teach other people. Now, they gave me the subject of grace while I was at polishing the pulpit, and they asked me to teach on what the Bible says about grace and errors about grace and how to answer grace, the uh, errors related to grace. That was a lot to bite off in one particular lesson. What I want to do first is define what we're talking about when we discuss errors related to grace. There are two main errors that I want to talk about. The first one is what is called, I, I labeled it as irresistible grace. The Reformed Church teaches this, and that would include men like uh, R.C. Sproul. He is probably one of the most prominent men that teach this. If you saw um, the debate that took place on GBN between Aaron Gallagher and Trey Fisher, Trey Fisher is a Reformed theology preacher, and he teaches this uh, idea of irresistible grace. Sometimes they call it effectual calling. I want to read you something that they wrote about Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 because I want you to get the concept. They said that the idea of irresistible grace stresses the initiative of God Himself in salvation as the one who must change our hearts and give us the ability to have faith. In our fallen condition, we are dead in sin, unable to, to conform to God's will both inwardly and outwardly. The faith by which we are justified is our faith, but only because our Creator gave it to us. All those to whom faith has been granted will come to exercise it, but if a person is not given faith, he will never be able to trust Jesus for his salvation. Regeneration precedes faith, not vice versa. And then they go on to say this. They suggest that many Christians believe that we are saved by grace when we choose to exercise our faith. But they say, no, it's more than that. They say it is grace only. They say you can't even have faith unless God gives it to you. And so we are 100% dependent on the grace of God. They say it is irresistible grace. And so this first type of grace, I call it irresistible grace because they are saying everything depends on God. Everything depends on God's grace. And so He chooses you or He doesn't choose you. And so if He chooses you, then you're going to have faith. There's nothing you can do about it. It is irresistible grace. And if He doesn't choose you, then there's not a thing you can do about that either. Even if you want to be saved, even if you were to get your Bible and study and try to learn how to be saved, you can't because it's either grace or it is not grace. And if you have faith, it's because God gave it to you. If you don't have faith, it's because God did not give it to you. Now, the second type of grace that I'm talking about is what I call grace only, faith only. This would be the more common view that you hear. 
Uh, I hear this one all the time. This is what most mainstream denominations teach. In fact, I was sitting in my office one day and the phone rang. It was a lady on the phone who had watched one of the lessons that we had done at GBN on the subject of baptism. And it was obvious that she was angry from the moment I answered the phone. And she did not waste any time letting me know it. And she began by saying, well, the thief on the cross wasn't baptized and he was saved. And so we talked about that and I answered that. And then she moved on to Ephesians 2.8 and she said, For by grace are we saved through faith, not of works. And she said, The Bible says we're saved by faith, not of works, and baptism is a work. You see, she was a grace-only, faith-only person. About a week or so after that, I had a Bible study on the phone with the man who likewise convinced that we're saved at the point of faith, but he used a different passage. His passage was Romans chapter 4 and verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. He was grace only, faith only. Still another man. He called us at GBN one day and the secretary forwarded his call to me. And he argued that baptism is not necessary because of Galatians 2.26. He had still a different verse, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ. And so he said, faith only, or grace only, faith only. Once we believe, we are saved. And then, of course, there's always the person who is the John 3.16 person, that whoever believes in him shall have everlasting life. And it is asserted that we must simply believe in him. These are the grace-only, faith-only people. If I had had more time, I would have probably added a third error relating to grace, and that was that some, be, some people believe that God's grace just covers everything, that you're just going to be saved, universalism. But I did not take time to deal with that. Now, my question to you would be this. What do you say when you're studying with people and they take one of these positions? That is, either you're chosen or you're not. You're going to get God's grace and He's going to save you or you don't. Or you've got the people that will say, we are saved by grace and the moment you believe, you are instantly saved, grace only Faith only. So basically you've got two groups, grace only and then the, I would call faith only. The truth is the Bible teaches grace, faith, and obedience. And so if you're going to have to study with the person, you need to know all three of these things. And so what I did at the beginning was I said we've got to define our terms. Because if you're talking to someone and you haven't defined your terms, what you're going to find is you're having a disagreement because they're saying one thing and you're saying something different, but you're both using the same word. For example, one person may say faith and they mean belief. Another person may say faith and they're referring to the faith. That is the gospel system of faith. You both use the same word and both of those are biblical usages of the word, but you're saying two totally different things, and you can see how frustrating and confusing that would be. So you've got to define your terms. First, the word faith is used in several different senses in the Bible, most prominently three different senses. First, the word faith sometimes just means belief. 
Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says, But without faith it's impossible to please Him. That is mental assent. All right? Secondly, the word faith is sometimes used as the faith. This refers to the system or practice of religion that is approved of God. Very often, when it is used this way, it has the definite article, the, in front of it. So it will say, the faith. It doesn't always, though. Sometimes it just says faith, but it is talking about Christianity, the one system approved by God. It is what it, it is used in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 5 when it says one Lord, one faith, one baptism. It doesn't mean one belief, it means one system of faith. This is not personal faith, this is Christianity. Now, the third way that the word faith is sometimes used is talking about personal conviction or personal conscience. For instance, Romans chapter 14 and verse 3 says, But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. This is talking about meat offered to idols, not really applicable to us except in principle. He says, For whatever is not of faith is sin. This is personal faith. Sometimes we call it conviction or, or scruples. So, at least three different ways that the word faith is used. So if you're talking about number one and they're talking about number two, you're going to have some confusion. Then you've got the word works. The word works is used in at least three different senses in the Bible. And again, if you're not talking about the same usage, you're going to be very confused and it's going to be tremendously frustrating. There are at least three different senses in which the word works is used. There are works of the law of Moses. There are works of personal merit, that is, I deserve it. And then there are works of obedience or compliance, acceptance. Now, I want to begin by showing you the fact that there are different types of works. For instance, in Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, we're specifically told that Abraham was not justified by works, but rather by belief, by faith. And the passage that is referenced is Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6. However, James chapter 2 and verse 21 specifically says Abraham was justified by works. And specifically, it refers back to, you guessed it, Genesis 15 and verse 6. How do you explain that? How do you explain that the same passage is referenced, but one says he was not justified by works but faith, and the other says he was justified by works and not faith only, it specifically states. It sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? But it's actually simple when you acknowledge the fact that there are two different types of works, and this is being used in two different senses. Romans chapter 4 is emphasizing the fact that Abraham was not saved by works of the law of Moses. Why would he be saying that? Because in Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 4, you had some people who were trying to bind circumcision. You had some people who were trying to say, if you're going to be a Christian and you're a Gentile, you've got to keep the, the, the law of Moses. You've got to go back and do these works because they will save you. And what he is saying to them is, Abraham wasn't circumcised. Abraham was saved by faith. 
before circumcision ever came into to play. And so he's saying, it's not works. Specifically, what is he talking about? If you go back and read Romans chapter 3, you will find the phrase, works of the law. What's he talking about? You're not saved by works of the law of Moses. When you get to James chapter 2, and it is talking about the salvation of Abraham, he is talking about a different kind of works. He is talking about the fact that there is a difference in a living faith and a dead faith. James 2.26 says, Faith that lacks works of obedience is dead. I heard uh, a gospel preacher define faith this way. He said, Faith is taking God at His word. I thought that's one of the best definitions I ever heard. God said it. I believe it. I'm going to take God at His word. And so if God said, this is what you need to do to be saved by my grace, and I have faith, then that's what I'm going to do. If I don't take Him at His word, then I'm not going to do it. So faith takes God at His word. Now, here is the third one, and it's gone. There we go. All right. Why did that disappear? All right, the, the third term we have to define is grace. The word grace is used in different ways in the Bible. Most, oftenly, most often when we use the word grace, we define it as, as what? <clears throat> How do we define grace? What's that? Unmerited favor. Oftentimes when we talk about grace, we're talking about salvation. That is God's grace to save us. But that's not the only way that grace is used in the Scripture. <clears throat> For instance, in Luke chapter 2 and verse 40, the Bible says about Jesus, the grace of God was upon Him. That's not saving grace, is it? Did Jesus have God's saving grace? No, He didn't need God's saving grace because He had no sin. Was this unmerited favor? Did Jesus need unmerited favor? No. See, it's being used in a different sense here. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6 says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Is that saving grace? Let your speech be always with saving grace? No. See, it's, it's in a different sense. Now, it could mean unmerited favor. That is, you're going to be kind to people even when they don't deserve it. But it's a different usage. And of course, there is a reference to saving grace. Titus chapter 3 and verse 7, we are justified by His grace. Now, when you talk about grace, the Bible is filled with grace. 160 times in the Bible you will find grace. 38 times in the Old Testament, 122 times in the New Testament. But this is what I want you to get. Before we start the Bible marking, when you talk about God's grace... Was grace just a feeling in the mind of God? Was grace just in his, in his mind, in His heart? No. When the Bible talks about God's grace, it's not just in His mind. It wasn't just a passing thought. It wasn't just a feeling in His heart. What is God's grace? God's grace is operative. God's grace is active. God's grace does something. That is important. Let me illustrate it. John chapter 1 and verse 17 says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace came through Jesus Christ. How did grace come through Jesus Christ? If God saved us by His grace, 
and grace was just a feeling in the mind of God, how did God save us through Jesus Christ? When he says grace came by Jesus Christ, what's he talking about? How would you define that? How did grace come by Jesus Christ? I want you to answer. To take away our sins. What did he do to exhibit God's grace? He died on the cross. Right. That's, that's exactly right. So God's grace wasn't just in his mind. It had to do something. God's grace sent Jesus Christ to die. What if somebody said, well, if he sent him to do something, then that wasn't grace? Because grace takes place in your mind, and so if he did something, that negates grace. Would that make any sense? That wouldn't make any sense. Grace begins in the mind, but grace was carried out by action. All right? Grace is operative. Now, I want to give you what I call the chain of grace. If you're familiar with Bible marking, what you want to do is this. You start with what's called an anchor verse. So if you're going to to pick a verse on grace, say if you're going to do a, a verse on baptism. If I said, what's the first baptism verse you think of, what would you say? Acts 2.38. Any others? 1 Peter 3.21. Any others? Okay, that's the two that come to your mind. So you pick the anchor verse for me. I pick the first verse that I think of when somebody gives me that subject. That's going to be my anchor verse. And I start there, and I start writing from there. So if someone says grace, what do you think of? The anchor verse that I usually think of is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, because it is probably the most well-known passage on grace, is the first one that people bring up, and it's, it's going to be the most common. So Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. That's a good anchor verse. The anchor verse means that's where you're going to start your Scripture marking. Now, the way a Scripture chain works is this. You pick your anchor verse, and you're going to read it, and you're going to teach something from it, and underneath it, you're going to write your next verse. And then you'll go to that next verse. And then you'll read it, and you'll teach something from it, and you'll write your next verse. And then under that one, you'll write your next verse. And so you can start a person from... All you have to do is remember your anchor verse. And if you can't remember that, go to the back of your Bible and write grace, Ephesians 2.8, anchor verse. Then when you go to Ephesians 2.8, then you've got that verse and you can take them through this chain. You can do it with baptism. You can do it with any subject that you want. In fact, I thought about doing a class where we just do a chain each week and we go through different subjects and you can give me some subjects and say, I'd like to have a chain on this or this or this and uh, we can teach it that way. But this is a scripture chain, sometimes called Bible marking. For years, before I had the scriptures in my head, I had in the back of my Bible a subject for this, subject, 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 and I would have my ankle, my anchor verse, not my ankle verse, my anchor verse for each one. Yeah, right on your ankle if you have it. Anywhere you got to put it. Just uh, I would have in the back of my Bible all these scriptures listed so that I could go there and it would start me 
on my chain. So whatever, eventually, hopefully you can get the anchor verse in your head and you can go from there. I've got where I use my laptop for everything now and I use Logos Bible software. And so when you click on, sometime I'm going to do a lesson just to show you how I use Logos. Because when I use Logos, I click a verse and it will let you do a link. And you can click and link all the verses you want to. So when I go to my anchor verse, I click on it, it pops up to the side, and it gives me all the verses that relate to that topic right there. You just hover over it, and it pops up, and you can read it, and is is really, really awesome. Then you can click your note, and you can have all your notes on that subject. That's why, after my accident, I quit using a paper Bible, and I started using this, mainly for the ease of carrying it, and I dropped my notes one time in the wheelchair, and I was like, I'm done with that. But after I started seeing the tools, I thought, this is incredibly awesome. Some people are paper people. So I don't use paper anymore. My wife will use paper till she dies. I can't get her to use a digital note to save her life. If you're a paper person, then the Bible marking is a great way to go. But I tell people this, this is your anchor verse, but you might want to write down some other verses that specifically relate to grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, that's a great anchor verse, but you might want to write Ephesians 2, 8. You might want to write Ephesians 2, 5. Even when we were dead in sins, God has quickened us. The King James says quickened. It means He's made us alive with Christ. By grace are we saved. Acts chapter 15 and verse 11, this is Peter at the Jerusalem council. He says, but we believed that through the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved through grace. And of course, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So, with all that said, this is where I would start the chain. Ephesians 2, 8 and verse 9, that's going to be your anchor point. And I would start studying with them, and I would make three points out of this verse. For by grace are you saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The first point I would make is this. The Bible says we are saved by grace. Nobody's going to dispute that. That's exactly what it says. The second point, it does not say that we are saved by grace alone. Could anyone dispute that? Does it say, for by grace alone are you saved? It doesn't say that. I would simply make that point. And then I would ask the question, how are we saved by grace? And then I would lead to the next scripture. The next scripture is, why does it keep doing that to me? I must be hitting something. Ah, that's why I'm hitting that button uh, by accident. All right, the next verse I would take them to in the chain is 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. It says that God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which is given to us in Jesus Christ before time began. And so I would point out this. We've been saved by grace... And whatever this grace is, however we were saved by it, it was through Jesus Christ. 
before time began. All right, here is the next one. Revelation 13 and verse 7. All who dwell on the earth will worship Him whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, um, in, in the book of life of the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Now particularly this last phrase is what I want you to get. The Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. Why is that? Because the previous verse says that the grace which was given to us was through Jesus Christ before time began. So whatever this grace was, it came through Jesus Christ, and He was the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. So the grace came through Him, and it relates to Him being slain. That's very important. Here is the next verse in the chain. And this is John chapter 1 and verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace came through Jesus Christ. It happened before the world began. It happened when the Lamb was slain. And now here is the next one. Hebrews 2 and verse 9, But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He, now listen, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Now, let's put all this together. What did Jesus do by grace? He saved me by His grace. He died for me. It was His suffering of death. God saved us by Jesus Christ, but how did He do it? He did it by dying on the cross, by the grace of God, He tasted death. But I also want you to notice something. Did you notice that it says, He tasted death for who? Everyone. What does that do to this first uh, thing that we noticed that we called irresistible grace? Irresistible grace says that God selected some individuals and Jesus died for them, and if you weren't part of that group, then you're out. What does this mean when it says He tasted death for everyone? Well, that's going to squash that. So the next thing that I would point in the chain, I w in fact, I would probably write these as some sub-points of Hebrews 2 and verse 9. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28 Listen what Jesus said. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Notice that Jesus said the invitation goes out to everybody. Come unto me, all ye that labor. Why would He say that if He's only selected just a few? And you're lost or you're saved and there's nothing you can do about it. That invitation wouldn't make any sense. Come unto me, all ye that labor. How about John 3.16? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world that whosoever... Come unto me, all ye that labor. He tasted death for every man. 
1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, now listen to this one, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. What does that do to the idea that God's grace is only for a select few? This is good and acceptable in the sight of God who desires all men to be saved. If God desires all men to be saved, and Jesus died for all, that whosoever believes, and He says, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, come unto Me, then why is it the case that not all men are saved? That doesn't make any sense, does it? All right, 2 Peter 3 and verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us. Listen to this. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What we have so far is this. We are saved by His grace, but that refers to something that Christ has done for us, not to us, not that we can't resist, and God wants all men to be saved. We are saved by grace. Jesus died by His grace, and He wants all men to be saved. Here's the next point in the chain. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. Some versions read it a little differently. They will say something like, has been made available unto all men. Do you think that's accurate to say God's grace has been made available unto all men? Yeah, that, certainly that is accurate. Why? Because He's not willing that any should perish, that He desires that all men should be saved, because God so loved the world that whoever believes, of all the things we just noticed, God's grace has appeared unto all all men. What does that mean? It refers to what Christ did. Christ died for all men. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Now, when it says God's grace appears to all men, the old American standard says bringing salvation to all people. This one says it's appeared unto all men. Bringing salvation to all people? Now, there's a problem. God died... He sent His Son to die for all men. He wants all men to be saved. His grace has appeared, been available to all men. Here's the, the next passage, and this is the problem. Oops, where'd it go? There we go, Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter by the straight gate... For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many that go in thereat. But narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way that leads unto life, and there are few who find it. What does that verse tell you that's problematic with what we've read so far? Most people are not going to be saved. This is the dilemma that we have. We are saved by grace. That refers to Jesus dying on the cross. God wants all men to be saved. His grace has been made available to all men, but not all men are going to be saved. In fact, most of them, he says, will not. How do you explain that? If God died for everybody and He wants everyone to be saved and His grace has been made available to everybody, why is it that not everybody is going to be saved? 
All right, that takes us back to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. I am saved by grace. That refers to what Christ did. But then I am saved by faith. That explains the fact that I have a part. If I'm saved by grace, that's God's part. That's everything He did. He sent His Son. Jesus was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. It's the gospel. Everything that God did from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, all of that is His grace. But the reason that not all men are saved is because we also have a part, and that is called faith. Now, I want you to appreciate this with me. This is very important, and you'll see why I hammered this. The divine side, grace, is operative. Did I not make a slide for that? Okay, the divine side, you see at the top here, grace is operative. What does that mean? Grace did something. It wasn't just a feeling. It wasn't just a thought. It wasn't just in the heart of God. God's grace did something. What did it do? John chapter 1 and verse 17, it was grace that sent Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 3 and verse 7, Jesus died for us. That was God's grace. God's grace was not just in the mind of God. His grace did something. Likewise, I want you to appreciate the human side must also be operative. The human side is called faith. We're saved by grace through faith. The human side also must be operative. It's not just in our mind. It's not just a feeling. It's not just a thought. It must also react. How do we know that? Romans 16 and verse 26, verse 26 speaks about the commandment that God made to all nations for the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. Galatians 5, 6 talks about the faith which works by love. What does that mean? Faith is operative. It's the reason that Acts chapter 8 and verse 12 says, but they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ, and they were all baptized. Why does it read that way? Because faith is operative. Faith can't just be in our heart. It can't just be in our mind. It can't just be mental assent. In fact, in John 12, 42, we read about some people who tried to practice faith as mere mental assent without any obedience, and this is the result. The Bible says, Nevertheless, amongst the chief rulers, many also believed on Him. That is, they had mental assent. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess Him. Why did they not confess Him? Or what would it mean if they confessed Him? If they confessed Him, that would be their mental assent causing them to do something. Their mental assent would have become operative, but they didn't let it become operative. Why? It says because of the Pharisees, because they didn't want to be put out of the synagogue, because they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And so their faith did not become operative. It just stayed in their heart and in their mind. And as a result of that, they were lost. And so this is what you get. Ephesians 2 and verse 8, For by grace are you saved. That's God's part. It's operative. It involved Him sending His Son. He was crucified for us 
through faith. That's our part. It too must be operative. It must express itself in doing what God said to do. Faith is taking God at His word. And that's why James 2.26 says, Faith without works of obedience is dead. Now, it is common for people to go to Ephesians 2.8 to teach the opposite. This is the way that it's commonly used. Maybe you've had a discussion, maybe even talking about baptism. That's when it usually comes up. And people will say, no, no, you don't have to be baptized. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And they'll say, see, it's faith. It's not of yourself. It is not of works, and baptism is a work. How do you respond to that? The first thing that I do is I will point out there's different types of works. We've got to be sure we're talking about the same thing here. We've got in uh, Romans chapter 4, there was a type of work that did not save Abraham. And in James chapter 2, there's a type of work that did save Abraham. Same context. So I've got to be sure we're talking about the same type. What type of work then is being discussed? Again, there are three types of works. There's the works of the law of Moses, there's works of personal merit, that is, I earned it, and then there's works of obedience, James 2.22. Really, he tells us in Ephesians 2 what type of work he is talking about, and that is, he says in the next phrase, not of works, lest any man should boast. What does that mean? He's talking about works of personal merit, that is, I've earned this, I deserve this. I bragged about this. God's got to let me in because I deserved it. He said, it doesn't work that way. It is not works of personal merit. Now, does that preclude baptism? If a person is baptized, is a person saying, I earned it. I deserved it. You have to let me in because of this. It does not preclude baptism. You know, as a side point of interest... Did you know that baptism is not even something that you do? Out of all of the steps of the plan of salvation, baptism is the only one that is not something that you do. Now, what do I mean by that? Baptism is passive. If you believe, that's something that you do. If you repent, that is something that you do. Those are active. Baptism is not something that you do. It is something that is done to you. It is passive. It is something that you submit to. You must be baptized. Baptism is something God said to do, and you are submitting to it. I find that very fascinating. I also think it's interesting that people will argue against baptism on the basis of Ephesians 2.8 because they will say, baptism is a work and we are not saved by, we're saved by faith, not by works. Did you know that baptism is never specifically called a work, but faith is? Faith is specifically called a work, but it's not a work by which you save yourself. It is a work in which you submit to and comply to God. It's a work of obedience. John 6, 28, the people asked Jesus, what should we do that we may do the work of God? John 6, 29, Jesus said, this is the work of God. That is, the work God would have you to do, 
that you believe on Him in whom you have sent, in whom He has sent. Jesus says that belief is a work. Do we have a bell? I don't even know if we have a bell now. So we stop at 11? Okay. All right. Man, that was a sad bell. We got to get a better <laughs> bell, Larry. We're going to take up a collection for a bell. So. All right. Um, I will pick up there next time. Tonight, uh, I'm going to preach. Josh has been at PTP and I offered to give him a break and I was doing lessons all week for PTP. And so I'm going to preach tonight on one of the assignments I had at PTP called Living on the Edge of Eternity. Living on the Edge of Eternity. All right, we'll stop. Thank you for your attention. Appreciate it.